Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. We're going to go to the Gospel of Mark, as they say in America, the Gospel of Mark, or in Australia, the Gospel of Mark, mate. Mark chapter 12 this evening in verse 16. If you haven't got a Bible, find a nearby Christian, just hunt one down. Hopefully you'll find one this evening. I want to talk to you a message this evening called Things My Mama Taught Me. My mum and dad uh, actually weren't Christians in their upbringing. In fact, my mum and dad found Jesus while they were both in the process of dating. Then they got engaged, and very quickly after they uh, got engaged, they got married. That's what you did in the 1970s, short engagements, get this thing moving. They got married, and as tends to happen when you get married, very quickly in that journey, along came the children. And very quickly, my mom and dad found themselves as brand new believers. My dad, fairly new to the nation of New Zealand, he was born and raised in Kenya. You probably could tell by my skin color. And as they were trying to figure out their journey as parents, they were very much asking themselves, we're not just parents, we're now Christian parents. So we're not just Christians, we're also parents. And what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a parent? And oh my Lord, what does it mean when you put those two together? And as they were trying to figure this journey out, there came a moment in their morning devotions where my dad found a verse of Scripture that became for them not just a casual verse of Scripture, but for them more a sense of guidance, direction. I think we wouldn't even be overstating it to say it became for them a life calling. I want to read it to you this evening. It's in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, and verse 16. Now, let me give you some context. They're trying to set Jesus up in another one of the many, many traps that they presented Jesus with. They're trying to get Jesus to either align himself with Caesar and the Roman Empire, and in doing so, lose uh, regard with the Jewish community, or to show rebellion against the Roman Empire, and so doing, cause himself to be, you know, vulnerable to death by Roman sword. And Jesus has asked the question, should we pay taxes to Caesar, or should we not pay taxes to Caesar? And in answer to that question, this is Jesus' response. He said, bring me a coin. And they brought him a coin. And he said, whose portrait is this on the coin? And whose inscription is this on the coin? And they said, Caesar's. Then Jesus said, well, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And give to God that which is God's. And as my dad read this verse of Scripture, one morning, he got something out of it that maybe you've read this first before and you never got out of it. But as a young Christian who was also a new parent, a new parent who was also a young Christian, my dad had an awakened heart. He was searching for some help, searching for some guidance. And as he read this verse of Scripture, he realized that Jesus was saying something on multiple levels. He's saying when you look at a coin, the image that is on the coin in that time was Caesar's. In our time, it's the queen. And he said, well, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Give to the queen that which is the queen's. But then he said, you know what? There's something else that bears a different image. And that's every single person under the sound of this message tonight. 
You carry an image. Genesis 1 verse 26 says that God made you in His own image. In the image of God, you were created. God made you in His own image. In the image of God, you were created. In fact, three times in two verses, God makes it abundantly clear that we were made in the image of God. And we're in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, 1 26 and 27. So as my dad read this verse of Scripture, he felt heaven just shouting at him. You give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And these children that have been born to you, they bear the image of God. So you don't keep them for you. You give these kids back to, to God. You raise these kids for God. And so from the time, literally, we were, we were just in nappies all the way through the course of our childhood. We were raised by parents who were on a mission. They weren't just trying to raise us so that we would be independent individuals or even so that we would be Camerons. We were raised for God. That this, this was all about making sure that we were able to love God, to have a relationship with God. Our obedience to our parents was all about learning to obey one day the direct voice of God. Living with a dream was all about living a life that was honoring of God. We were literally raised in church. I'm telling you, man, sleeping bags at the back of church was how I was raised. And, and, and as part of that journey of discovery and of searching for answers, my mom used to take little truths that she'd learned in her Bible readings, and she would try and boil them down into these little one-liners. And I was literally raised on them. Little one-liners that were, were made, uh, you know, verses of Scripture that mom had gotten clear so that us as kids would learn how we could respond and so that we could be raised for God. And tonight, I want to give you a message with eight things, eight one-liners that I was raised with. Now, if you've been part of Arise for a long time, you've probably heard at least one or three of these. But tonight, I want to give you eight. And believe it or not, it's not an exhaustive list. There are things that I have left out. But these eight things, I believe, will help your life tonight. And uh, here's our first one. Are you ready for these? Our first one tonight is that you've got to have a dream to have a dream come true. Man, I couldn't tell you how many hundreds and hundreds of times in my life, in my childhood, I kept hearing from my mom, you've got to have a dream to have a dream come true. Son, you've got to have a dream to have a dream come true. Friends, I want you to know that if something is going to be real in your life, it first has to be alive in your heart. I want you to know tonight that if you're going to do anything great, anything beyond where you find yourself right now, Something has to live in the inside of you before it will ever become real for you. And the greatest danger of our lives would be if all was, that was real to us was what was real around us. If the only thing real to you is what is around you, what you can see with your natural eye, what you see when you walk out the door of this auditorium, what you see when you walk into your neighborhood, your school, your university, your workplace, if you walk into the doors of your house and the only thing real to you is what you see with your natural eye, my friends, you're in grave danger. Why? Because you've got to have a dream. If the dream is ever going to become true, if it's ever going to become real, if you're ever going to see the dream come true, you've got to have a dream first on the inside of you. Oh man, I don't know about you, but I reckon we need a generation of dreamers. 
One of the things that I'm so grateful for about my childhood is that I was never ridiculed for my dreams. I've been ridiculed many times in my life for my dreams, but by my parents, never been ridiculed for my dreams. I think that gave me a huge advantage in life. Maybe you've come to this service tonight and every time you've ever said to anybody that you're gonna do something substantial, that somebody around you began to mock you, tease you, ridicule you. It's very confronting to other people when you have in your life a dream. You're not the first person to ever be taunted for a dream and you won't be the last. I encourage you to read the life of Joseph in the Bible who got a dream and his 11 brothers hated him because of it. But friends, I want you to know I'm so privileged because I got to be raised in a home where I was never ridiculed for my dreams. And this is what I want you to know. Just like my mom never ridiculed me for my dreams, God will never ridicule yours, you for yours either. The God that you worship, the God that we serve, is a God who is not the ridicule of dreams. In fact, He is the giver of dreams. God comes to our lives not to pull us down, but to give us a dreams. God loves dreamers. In fact, if you connect with God, I want you to know one of the things that will happen to you is that dreams will start coming alive on the inside of you. I preach this so many times in our church, but it's because it is hugely important that when you hear in the New Testament and in the Old of the Holy Spirit being poured out, the third member of the Trinity, the presence and the power of God, the Holy Spirit, you're always gonna find that when the Holy Spirit gets poured out, dreams come alive. And let it be said of our lives that the more we connected to God, the more real our future became. Let it be said of our lives that the more we worshiped our Jesus, the more real our dreams became. And oh, we need, we need a generation of people that aren't just living for the here and for the now. We need a group of people that are living for something greater. We need a generation of dreamers. You gotta have a dream to have a dream come true. Say it with me. You gotta have a dream to have a dream come true. Here's point number two. Second one line that my mama gave me was, what would you do if money wasn't an obstacle? It was a question. In our family, it was a guiding principle that we were asked all the time. In fact, I couldn't even tell you how recently it was, but I can, can tell you that if you're at a crossroads in your life and you're a Cameron, then there's gonna come a moment where if you express that crossroads out loud, you're gonna hear my mom saying, what would you do if money wasn't an obstacle? What's gonna decide the course of your life? What's gonna be the stimulator of your direction? What's gonna be the decider of where you go? In fact, in, uh, in researching for this message, we have a, a family chat and I put this question out there and the person who remind, I said to my family, I said, what are some of mom's one-liners? And, and the, uh, my brother-in-law, Andrew, who's married to my sister, Shona, is actually the one who reminded me of this one. And right now, they are missionaries with their three children in Costa Rica reaching Latin America for Jesus, inspiring churches over there. In fact, my brother Brent and I get on a plane on Wednesday to go to Chile to speak to a whole conference full of pastors as a result of their decision to go to Latin America. And I'm so glad that when it came time for them to decide between the safety of a normal life or a life that was gonna truly make a difference in the world for Jesus, that there wasn't a, an environment around them pouring water on the fire of their dreams, but quite the opposite. I'm glad that my mom was in their ear, someone saying, don't live small and don't live safe and don't live for the almighty dollar, live for the almighty God. Come on, are you with me tonight? I, 
I think we need a generation that aren't just being limited by how they're going to get through the week. I think we need a group of people that are looking to the hand of Jesus and say, man, what would I do if money wasn't an obstacle? Oh, do you realize that Jesus taught us that? Do you realize that Jesus said, don't worry about your life? Don't worry about what you will eat. Don't worry about what you will wear. This is literally what Jesus said. He said, pagans run after such things. He said, people who have never been awakened to God make money and the pursuit of it and the concern of it their top priority in life. But if you've found Jesus, that is not to be the guiding rule of your life. Jesus made it specifically and abundantly clear that if we are followers of Jesus, the pursuit of His kingdom is to be what we go after. In fact, this is what he said. Listen to me, young people. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. What things? Money, how you're gonna eat, where you're gonna live, what you'll wear will be taken care of for you by God if you'll pursue His kingdom. What would you do if money was no obstacle? Can we stop dreaming small? Can we stop playing it safe? Could we be a generation who gets some bigger dreams? Who have some more audacious goals? Who aren't just concerned about the here and the now? We need a seed sowing bold generation, stepping out, believing God for greater things. I remember one Christmas actually, I was, I, was, I, I tend to crawl into Christmas, you know, here in the Southern Hemisphere, you kind of go all out, then you crawl into Christmas and then you recover over New Year's and then we get back up and we do it all again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I, I kind of hit my Christmas window just with nothing left in the tank. And I remember sitting down and I was, I was, I was just kind of verbalizing in one of our family environments, a little bit of a crossroads that Arise was at. And I was, I was trying to work out which way to go. And you, you need to know about me that I'm bold and I'm courageous, but I also am aware of how much is at stake if we make bad decisions. <laughs> and so I'm always trying to balance that, that pursuit of what God has with the prudent thing for us to do next. And I'll never forget, mom just going, well, son, what would you do if money wasn't an obstacle? It's like one of those moments where it's like, I know that, but I needed to hear that. And in our lives, we've got to keep coming back to this. I'm here to tell every parent, what would you do if money was no obstacle? I'm here, here to tell every grandparent, what would you do if money was no obstacle? I'm here to tell you that dreams only die when we make something greater than them. And how about we believe in the God who said that if we went after what He has for us, that He'd take care of all the little stuff. Do you realize Jesus was trying to say, what you'll eat, what you'll wear, where you'll live, these are little things. And the kingdom of God is a big thing. Number three, here's our, here's our third one. Um, the third thing my mama taught me was that with every privilege comes responsibility. That with every privilege comes responsibility. Hammer it into us, hammer it in. That with every privilege comes responsibility. Um, just been a bit of a chaotic time for, for uh, people in Potiroa over the weekend. I, I tried to go and buy my, my, my takeaways on Friday night. Whole road was blocked off because literally someone was, was murdered in our township where, where I live. And the next day, Julian, my kids and I were actually just sitting in a cafe and literally like 50 meters from where we were sitting, I didn't even realize till we sat down, was where they blocked off the road and where someone had, had literally been killed on, at 5.40 on Friday night. And it, we're sitting in this cafe and as we're sitting in this cafe trying to just enjoy our lunch together, it's, there was a bit of 
you know, probably gang related. So there's a little bit of stuff starting to happen on the street outside and it started to get pretty hot. And suddenly there's people yelling and police cars coming from everywhere and, you know, people threatening one another. It, it was going down. It was going down. And I remember my kids, one of my kids, you know, who had just been, I guess, privileged, raised in environments like this one where, where everybody's beautiful and you just hear encouraging things. We're just saying to me, one of them just said, well, Dad, why, is, why are these people just so angry? What's going on? Why, why is there so much hatred? And I said, kids, you've got to realize, you, you've never been beaten. No one's, ever, no one's ever hit you in anger, smacked you before they made it illegal, but no one's ever, <laughs> no one's ever hit you in anger. Come on, somebody. <laughs> nobody. nobody. You've never, you've, never, you've never known what it is to, to, to have ne neglect and to, to experience animosity. You've just, you're privileged. And then I was just trying to say to them, and kids, that's why if you've been this privileged, we don't just shut our doors. We don't just hide away. That's why if we've been this privileged, we have to share the love of Jesus and the forgiveness we've found in Him and the love that our church family has given us. And we have to reach out to every person who's yet to experience it and give it abundantly and widely. And friends, we've got to know that if you've been, if you've been blessed, with every privilege comes a responsibility. As Christians, we should get this. That if you found Jesus and you are now a Christian, that being part of the Christian faith is the weirdest thing in all the world because it's the only club to which you belong that from the moment you belong to it, it's not about you anymore. You pay dues to a club that don't make it all about you, but about the people who aren't yet part of the same family, the same relationship with Jesus. We don't live for ourselves. We live for the world that is around us. Come on, are you with me tonight? With privilege comes responsibility. I remember another Christmas actually when I was still a youth pastor and I was just grumpy, you know, grumpy about the toll and I wasn't earning much money and everything was and I was just moaning, moaning off the top of my head and, you know, just, you know, just bad attitude. And I never forget, never make my mom angry, by the way. And my mom looks at me and she says, she says, John, with privilege comes responsibility. And if you know my mom, that's like a verbatim quote. That's how she talks when she's fired up. John, with privilege comes responsibility. And I knew exactly what she was saying. I knew she was saying, you don't lead because it's good for you. You lead because it's good for other people. And you pay a price for other people. And we, we need a generation that understands. Because we, if we're not careful, we have become entitled. And then with every privilege, we think we deserve more privilege. That's such a, a stench in the nostrils of God. God wants you knowing that every blessing that comes your way, you should be thankful for it. And by the way, it's not bad to be blessed, but it is bad if you take what you receive and you feel deserving of it. But it is great when you and I say, listen, I've been blessed and now I've got to be a blessing. I am privileged and with it comes a responsibility. God gave it to me so that He could get it through me so I could make a difference in the world around me. Somebody shout amen in this place tonight. Number four, number four, uh, number four, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. This was just one of the one-liners that I was raised with. Whatever your hand finds to do, you do it with all your might. Mum was so, so short on this one, she actually just borrowed it straight from the Bible word for word. 
This is Ecclesiastes chapter nine and verse 10. It simply just says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. You can write the point and the reference all in one hit. That's how easy it is. But this tend to come up a lot in our house, doing the dishes. Come on, we got any teenagers in the house tonight? Oh, I can hear you. I know what you're like in Hamilton, eh? Isn't it amazing how we can be so enthusiastic about so many things and then lose it the moment somebody says, dishes time. And mom will be in there going, whatever your hand finds to do, you do it with all your might. Whatever your hand finds to do, you do it with all your might. It seemed to come up a lot at dishes time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I, I, I'm so thankful that I was raised to understand that God isn't just interested in what I do, but God's interested in how I do it. It wasn't just my mom who told me that, the Bible tells me that. Whatever your hand finds to do, I, I, I live literally so often with this, sometimes, sometimes I'll be honest with you, message prep, it's like 16 hours a week I spend on this. 16 hours, it's a lot of time, a lot of energy. I get up every day and I spend literally an hour a day making sure I've got enough substance in my life so I can churn this material out every week. By the way, the moment I start to resent it, I think of people like Jeff and other of these full-time athletes who do so disciplined in their lives. But you know, when you, when you think about it, I, 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 so many times sometimes where I'm just like, oh, I just wish I could trim it down to six this week and just fake it till I make it through the pulpit. And I just hear those words, whatever your hand finds to do, you do it with all your might. If this is worthy of your time, you give it your all. You don't cut corners. You do this with everything that you have. I want you to understand, friends, that God looks at this. There's a story in the Bible of a king who was literally instructed by a prophet, take these arrows in your hand and start striking the ground with it. And the prophet didn't give him any clarifying instructions, and that's often the way God's gonna work in your life. He's gonna tell you to do something, and He's not gonna give you specificities. Why? Because He wants to find out your attitude. God isn't just interested in what you do, He's interested in how you do it. Whatever your hand finds to do, you do it with all your might. And the prophet was given, sorry, the king was given an instruction by the prophet, take these arrows and whack the ground. I've preached about it often because the Bible tells us that He whacked the ground once, twice, three times, and then he just quit. And the prophet is angry. He says, what are you doing? You only struck the ground three times. You didn't, he's kind of like he's saying, you didn't do it with all your might. If you had it kept going, then each time you struck the ground, that was like another battle that you were gonna win. Each time you struck the ground, that was another piece of victory in your life. Every time you struck the ground, there was a greater assurance that you were gonna get breakthrough over your enemies. Because God isn't just interested in what you do, God's interested in how you do it. Friends, if you pick your, something up in your hand, then do it properly. If it's within your power to do it, do it with everything that you have. Oh, this is in everything of our lives. That's why we don't just come to church and stand there. If you're in the house, then lift your voice, praise God, worship God, clap your hands, lift them up in the air. It won't kill you. You'll get a workout and a church service in one. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I'm preaching myself excited tonight. Number five, number five, a grateful and contented heart the devil has no access to. 
This was just something that we just used to hear over and over and over again. I wish I had. I need. If only I had. Remember that my mum wasn't anti-aspiration. It was four dreams, but she was really against discontentment. A grateful and contented heart the devil has no access to. It's important that we realize about life and about our God that our God encourages our dreams, but our God strongly discourages our comparisons. If you read the Bible, you're gonna find that. Listen, in an Instagram, everybody's got something that we want, visual, comparative generation. Let's just be really clear that a grateful and contented heart the devil has no access to. An ungrateful heart the devil does have access to. Gratitude is a God thing, a kingdom thing, a powerful thing. If we want our lives to be healthy and whole, God doesn't take us into the future that He has for us by causing us to resent the place where we are now. You must understand that. If God's gonna take you forward in your life, God is firstly gonna awaken not the opportunities of your tomorrow, but the opportunities of your today. In every stage of my life where God has promoted me to another level, the first thing He has done is awaken me to the wonder of where I am. God's never just been like, you know, John, you hate your life now, so I'm gonna take you into something greater. Never. God has always worked the opposite. I'm telling you the truth. He's awakened within me. When I pray, when I connect with Jesus, how many people have found this to be true? The grass gets greener, the sun gets brighter, life gets better, and I can become awakened, not just to if I had a better life and if I lived somewhere else and if I got those sneakers. No, I get awakened to the wonder of where I am right now. And then out of that, the same God who inspires that sense of gratitude then begins to speak to me about things that are to come. You understand what I'm saying? Listen, don't expect God to communicate with you when the thoughts of your heart and the emotions of your mind, when the emotion, thoughts of your mind and the emotions of your heart are out of line with who He is. Hello? How many people think someone near you needed to hear that one? A grateful and contented heart the devil has no access to. We, we live in a generation that is, if we're not careful, increasingly discontented. We need to find reasons for happiness, thanksgiving, joy and wonder. When we are grateful and content, you know what happens to our lives? They're pure. Gratitude and contentment is not anti-dreams and visions. It's not. But it safeguards you against living with envy about what other people have. Do you know why Jesus was killed? Why Jesus was delivered over to the Roman soldiers? Because a man wanted, he wanted the offerings that were being bought in honor of who Jesus was. Because of a lack of gratitude and contentment in the heart of one of his disciples, Jesus was sold for 20 pieces of silver. We can destroy our lives if we don't remind ourselves I have so many reasons to be grateful. And in my heart, God moves me from contentment to wonder to worship to dreams to vision to future. 
Number seven, you with me this evening? Here's the, this one's important too. This one's like a bit of a smack smack, these two. But here we go, next one. Anyone think someone near you needs a little bit of a smack smack? Here we go. Here's our seventh one. I don't even know if I can say that out loud, but I did, so let's go. Number seven. Number seven, this was a big one in our family. Life's not fair. Life's not fair. Literally, I can hear my wife and my, my daughter, I think, laughing in the auditorium. But life's not fair. This is a huge Cameron thing. I think maybe because I was one of four kids, and many times during our lives, there were 11 people living in our house, and you kind of always want the equal slice of the cake. Have you noticed that with children? We've got to get the equal slice of the cake. If someone else gets a little bit more, then children are like, how come they got a bigger bit than I did? It's not fair. It's not fair. And I think my mom might have just got sick of it. Maybe this one started in the flesh and moved to the spirit. But her whole, her whole thing was, listen, you'd be like, no, it's not fair. It's not fair. And my mom would just say, life's not fair. Life's not fair. Life isn't fair. I remember one day going, Mom, what are you talking about? She said, it wasn't fair that Jesus had to die on the cross for your sin. I was like, okay, shots fired, shots fired. And if Jesus died on the cross for my sin and that wasn't fair, then we shouldn't expect life to be any fairer. Guys, in our time, this is like cultural heresy. Because we're just all about fairness, you know? I'm on equal rights and... Everybody give me what I'm deserving of. You know, listen, I, I deserve it. You know, we want, want to be fair and equitable and everything like that. But listen, look, guys, we can waste so much of our lives hoping that life will be fair. Life is not going to be fair to you. Listen, life is not going to be fair to you. Having a system of law that is orient, oriented towards fairness is great, important, crucial. Having a personal expectation that life is gonna be fair, is gonna mess your life up. Life is not going to be fair. Jesus did no wrong, yet he died for you and me. That isn't fair. And we shouldn't expect every wrong to be righted. We shouldn't waste emotional energy waiting for bad things to be made right in our lives. We have to let go. We have to move on. I'm not here to tell you that you should roll over and say, hit me again, Johnny. I am here to tell you, though, that you can waste a lot of your tomorrow waiting for somebody to make right some wrong at some moment in your past. Do yourself a favor. Admit it. They took a moment of my yesterday, but they don't have to get my tomorrows. You might have messed with my past, but you're not getting my future. My future is mine, my life is my own, my choices belong to me, life isn't fair, but I'm moving on. Someone shout, I'm moving on. We need a generation of people that are just letting go and grabbing a hold of God. Friends, don't focus on what others did or they haven't done. Focus on you and what you can do. You're a powerful human being. You've got God in your life. Well, I'm preaching excited tonight. Number seven, you win or you lose by the way you choose. You win or you lose by the way you choose. Over and over again in my childhood, I kept being told this. You win or you lose by the way you choose. You win or you lose by the way you choose. Take the high road, John. Don't stoop to the same level that everyone else is on. Don't live the same way other people are. You're gonna win or you're gonna lose by the choices that you make, not by what other people do. 
If I wasn't happy about things that were happening in my life or in our classes, then we would hear this over and over again. You win or you lose by the way you choose. We were taught that we were the masters of our own destiny, that our choices were deciding our tomorrows. Listen, you win or you lose by the choices that you make, not by the choices that anybody else makes. That's the seed they sow, and those, that's the life that they're going to have to live. But at the end of the day, we win or we lose by the choices that we make ourselves. And number eight, here's my last one this evening. You can't change other people's actions, but you can change your reactions. I think I heard this one the most out of the eight. I had, as a band come and join me in every campus, my friend Hayden, Hayden was my best friend up until about maybe the age of six or seven. And Hayden used to come to our house after kindergarten. Any kindergarten kids out there? And Hayden used to come to my house after kindy, and he would play at our house until his mum finished work, and then his mum would come and pick him up. And one day, Hayden and I were playing outside, and I'm telling you the truth, I'm telling you the truth, I'm not lying, but Hayden poked me in the eyes. What kind of evil kid does that? I'm three years old, four years old, and the guy pokes me in the eyes. I mean, where did you even dream that stuff up, you know? I mean, what kind of demon inspired that? I don't know. Get behind me, Satan. But the guy, the guy poked me in the eyes. Just like that. I was, I have red hair and a fiery temper. And I was like three years old. So what do you do? I bit him on the arm. True story. I grabbed him and I just bit him and I bit him hard. Why? Because he poked me in the eye and he started it. Well, my mum comes down with Winnie the Whale in her hand. And she takes a look at me and my eyes are looking red, but I'm fired up. Looks at Hayden, there's a massive bite mark in his arm. So guess who got smacked that day? You're looking at him. And I remember mum taking me up, say bend over the couch and then whoosh on the butt. Flipping her. And I was rubbing my backside, crying like a little kid. Walking line there. And I rubbed my butt and I was like, Mom, 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 you don't understand. Hayden poked me in the eye, he poked me in the eye. He started it, Mom, he poked me in the eye. I bit him because he poked me. First time I remember hearing this in my life, mum just looked at me and said, she said, son, you can change other people's, you can't change other people's actions, but you can change your reactions. And I'll be forever thankful for that. Forever thankful. You know, King David, before he was king, King Saul kept hunting David down to kill him. Kept doing it. I want you to hear me, young people, because you're hearing so many messages, so many movies about revenge. So much. You've got to understand, the Bible says, you've got to hear this. Listen, do not take revenge. Leave it up to God. God is the only righteous judge. And no matter how much you feel aggrieved, you cannot make an impartial response. So God said, leave it up to me. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And King David was being hunted by King Saul who wanted to kill him. Not just once, but on multiple occasions. King Saul maligned his character. 
spread rumors about him, murdered an entire town to say, if you help David, this is what I'm gonna do to you as well. And David hadn't done anything wrong. And the Bible tells us that King Saul creeps into a cave, politely the scripture says to relieve himself. Basically, he needed to take a toilet break. King Saul bends down to take care of business. And as he's doing it, King David is buried with his boys deeper in the cave. He crawls forward and his boys are all saying, God gave you this opportunity. They're literally telling him, this is a God moment. You can kill King Saul right now. And all David did was cut off a little corner of his robe. And the Bible says he was conscience stricken. Conscience stricken because he touched the king that God had chosen. King Saul came back out of that cave. David, when he was down in the valley, King Saul's down in the valley, King David comes out the front of the cave. He holds up the corner of his robe and he says, my father, King Saul, you're hunting me down like a dog and you're trying to kill me. And I want you to know, you can hunt me down from here till kingdom come and try and kill me every day. But I want you to know, I could have killed you today and I didn't. And my hand is never going to touch you to kill you. And the reason why is because from evildoers come evil deeds. You can try and kill me and that's saying something about who you are. But I'm never gonna try and kill you because that's gonna say something about who I am. And friends, you can't change other people's actions, but you get to change your reaction. You get to decide you. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor John Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at arisechurch and at johncameronnz.
Hey, well, this morning we're going to be talking about mothers. And, um, you know, the role of mothers is so many, isn't it, and so varied. And let me know, mums, today, if you can relate to any of these. See, mothers can be the COOs, the chief operating officer of their family. They're the jack of all trades. They're the Transit New Zealand coordinator, the health inspector, the dental hygienist, the master chef, the consultant, the beauty technician, the sleep psychologist, and the counselor. Motherhood, with all its aspects, is a beautiful entrustment from God. Motherhood is a beautiful thing. You know, today we're honoring all mums. We're honoring those who are expecting a baby. We're honoring those with littlies, those with teenagers and tweenagers and um, those with uni students. We're honoring those who uh, wish those uni students would leave home, those who wish they would come back. <laughs> we're honoring those with children who are close by and children who are far off. Today we're also honoring those who have adopted children, fostered children, or borrowed children and simply provided a mothering nurture for people in their lives. We want to say today that by including people in our lives and mothering them, you've made a great difference. We want to say today that you're beautiful, we love you, we honor you, you're special, and that all of your church family, in case you might have missed it, all of your church family is cheering you on and heaven is cheering for you as well. Today we also want to acknowledge those who are struggling today, and maybe your mom is no longer here. You know, the Bible says that we are surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. I believe that our mums are cheering us on from heaven. Our mums are still believing the best for us and watching over us and cheering for us. For those of us who maybe today it's a challenge to come to Mother's Day because we get to be a mom or we're believing for that to happen in our lives. I want you to know that our hearts are with you and our prayer is with you and we are also believing that God would somehow open up the way for you to experience this in your lives. You know, today I wanna to talk about what God gives moms and we've talked about the many roles and I'm gonna just touch on a few of those today and, and share a message this morning. But firstly, before I begin my message, I just need to clarify something for people. It is so lovely today to have my kids here with me. Uh, Lara and Will, my family, I've made them travel with me. Give everyone a wave. I wanna show off my beautiful family today. I don't get to do it often. You can stand up for a sec if you wouldn't mind. I just wanna show. I have a family, they exist, they're beautiful. I love you guys so very much. Thank you kids, you bring me so much joy. And to clarify before I start, this cannot be a very expensive Mother's Day for me, so may I please be released from every fine due to the mention of your names. Give me a nod, ah, oh, thumbs up, there we go, great. Otherwise, it would be too expensive for me, and that's not what Mother's Day should be, right? <laughs> I'm going to read from Judges chapter 4 this morning. It says in Judges chapter 4, verse 4, Deborah, the wife of Lepidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. The Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day, she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kedesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel commands you. 
Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribe of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Caesarea, who was their enemy. I'm going to bring out your enemy so you can fight them. Commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, I'm going to bring them to the Kishon River. And there I will give you, the Lord says, I will give you victory over him. Barak says to Deborah, I will go, but only if you go with me. Oh, very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will no longer receive the honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Caesarea will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kedesh, and at Kedesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zephulun and Naphtali. 10,000 warriors went with him, and Deborah also went with him. See, Judges 5 verse 7 says, There were few people left in the villages of Israel until Deborah arose as a mother for Israel. See, today we see in the life of Deborah someone who is a judge, a leader, a prophet, but she is also a mother to God's people. And because one mother arose, God brought a great victory. God brought a nation into its destiny. God did something great. She was an amazing mother. And I see those attributes that are in Deborah and many of the mothers that are gathered here today. Those same attributes that were in her, that she arose as a mother, I believe are in the lives of the mothers that have gathered here today. You know, to be a mother is to choose action. Anyone with a preschooler? Oh, you are running after them nonstop. To be a mother is to choose action. There is no reticence. There is no sitting back. There is no shrinking back. Well, your child will destroy the whole neighborhood. I've had a few, right? To choose encouragement is what a mother represents. To speak to the potential in the child. To judge wisely. Deborah was a judge. Hey, any mothers here had to settle sibling disputes. Playing the judge and jury is a role that every mother both loves and hates, <laughs> to bless, to believe, to stand within faith. Today, every mother has these attributes, and we're honoring you for them. The first thing I want to say this morning is that a mother is entrusted to be a carrier. We think about that moment of conception, and the moment the seed comes in the woman's body and she begins to carry that baby, everything begins to change. From that moment on, from conception, God gives us a symbolic picture of what it is to carry a child. And the mother never stops carrying that child the whole rest of its life. You know, think about how as your stomach grows and it gets awkward and you're staggering around and your balance is completely gone. I mean, that's what motherhood does. Your balance is gone. Your coordination is gone. And suddenly you're staggering around with this big thing that you're carrying this weight, this, this difference in your body. And then you can barely tie up your shoelaces. In fact, where have your feet gone? And, uh, you know, then when the baby finally is born, then you're mounted with this front pack or this backpack or some kind of newfound contraption that they didn't have in my day. How cool is modern parenting? But now you're carrying that little baby like a little joey in a pouch. <laughs> little head peeping out. But you know, this picture of carrying is actually symbolic of what a mother does the whole life of the child. See, the mother carries the child close to their heart. They nurture them. They create security. They create intimacy. They create an environment of support, of love, of being held securely. I believe that every mother learns what it is to be a carrier. 
Mothers carry us when we need extra support. They know when to hold on to us and when to push us out. They know that they have been trusted with the potential of a life. You know, I'll never forget when my last baby, Will, he turned three, and you just saw him before. He's a bit of a man mountain, and uh, he's going to be taller than his mum and dad for sure. But he was my baby, and I'll never forget when he turned three, and that painful moment came where I could no longer pick him up and carry him. In fact, I was trying, and his feet were like only this far off the ground. (laughs) And that moment comes when we can't physically carry our children anymore. But motherhood means we never stop carrying. We always carry the potential of this child's life, and we carry this child close to our heart every day of their life. You know, the carrying may stop, but the emotional, the spiritual never stops. Being aware that when they miss their friends, we're carrying them. When something hasn't gone well in their lives, or they've had a bad day at school, we're carrying them. When their game has run out of batteries, we are carrying them. We are always carrying. Deborah was amazing because she not only carried her family and all of those duties, she carried a nation in her faith. And I believe that as mothers, we are entrusted with the future nation shapers. We are entrusted with nations. We are entrusted with people who are going to do great things. And those who carry well can create security and can create a new future for their children. You know, I want to say as well that I know that in this room today and Uh, We would all know people who are carrying their children and caring for their children without assistance from the child's father. I want to say today that I believe God honors you for your labor of love. And the promise of God that came to Deborah is the promise that comes to you. See, Deborah is asked to lead this nation. And in fact, she says to the man, will you go and do it? And he says, only if you do it. And God says, well, the honor isn't yours anymore. And the truth is, that if we're doing it, then the honor belongs to you. You are the one doing it. God promises that yours is the honor. And I wanna say that God honors you, your church family honors you, and what you are doing is honorable. The second thing I wanna talk about is that a mother is entrusted with destiny. I mean, hey, we see through the Bible mothers who are like, my child is amazing. And so we should think that, every mother, thinks their child is amazing, yes? I think about Moses' mother. She's like, look at this baby. This is no ordinary child. Uh Uh-uh, my child is gonna do something special. See, she's entrusted with destiny. She saw it and she was able to call it out. What about Hannah? She has a baby called Samuel. She says, this child, he's gonna be set apart for the Lord. He's gonna do something great for God. And so she raises him in the house of God. She raises him in the courts of the Lord and she brings him up with a vision because she saw the seed of destiny of what God wanted to do in his life. What about Elizabeth who gave birth to John the Baptist? She's like, man, this child, he's no ordinary child. He's gonna do something special. I'm gonna raise him as in like, an, I'm gonna raise him to follow the ways of the Lord because he is gonna prepare the way of the Lord. See, every mother knows and believes in the seed of destiny in their child. Think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. I mean, she saw the seed of destiny and she nurtured it to fulfillment. God trusted her with Jesus because she could do that. They're at a wedding and the first miracle that Jesus does is because his mother pushes him to do it. A mother can see a seed of destiny. A mother can push us out into what God wants for us. 
the mum comes to her and says, no more wine at the wedding. And Jesus is like, what do you want me to do? And she's like, but she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She honors the gift in her child. She honors the gift. And because she honors Jesus, miracles are released. When mothers honor what God has put in a child's life, it can come to fruition. It can come to pass. It can be a blessing that goes on and on beyond that moment. Who knows that Mary pushing Jesus in that moment released him into supernatural season. The Bible says that the disciples then believed in him because of that miracle. See, a mother's intuition, a mother's timing begins to release a seed of destiny. Who better to speak to the future and to speak life to gifts and talents and to declare vision? My poor daughter, Lara, I'm constantly speaking to her about things that she does not want to do, but I see a seed of destiny. You see, I'll never forget when she was three years old and she would run into a meeting that was happening. It was a very somber meeting. You know, John was probably speaking and it was all very serious back then. Darling, you live serious. And Lara, I'm, I'm the one that makes the meetings fun, I'm just saying. It's true, you all know it. Lara, she would come running into the meeting. She said, Mommy, Daddy, it's my turn to speak. And then we would give her the floor and she would share her message. She said, You know, temptation is coming. You know what you've got to do when temptation comes? You've got to run. And then she would run all around the room in this cute little onesie, and it was so adorable. And she would write messages in her book, and I'll never forget, this was the message she preached. And one day we were at Dines' house about to have a shared lunch. And let's just say the table was laden with donuts and all kinds of treats that we should not eat. And Lara, because this was the message that was burning in her heart, just as the moment came to say grace and everybody had paused, Lara came bursting in and she said, watch out everybody, temptation is coming. Sure enough, it was. But the truth is I tell her, Lara, from the age of three, you've wanted to preach one day, you might, darling. And she's like, never, never, I'm never. And I'm like, darling, at the age of three, see mothers will speak to the seed of destiny. We don't know what can come out of a child's life if we would breathe on the seed of destiny. The third thing is that a mother is entrusted to be a giver. Put your hand up if you have a selfless mother in this place. Aren't they amazing? Mothers have such a high capacity to give and keep on giving. You know, maybe like me, you can remember that season of motherhood. We're going to the supermarket alone was like taking a holiday. It could have been the south of France or Asia as you, as you breeze through the international food aisles. I'm in Asia right now. As you went down the aisle with coconut milk, now I'm in Fiji. As you peruse the steak, now I'm in Argentina. Oh, it was like a holiday destination going to the supermarket alone. Why? Because mothers invest everything, every minute of their time, they're selfless, they sacrifice, they're willing to lay down their lives for their kids. You know, um, m many of you know that I enjoy to cook, and sometimes I'm successful, sometimes not so much, but I do love to cook. But cooking is my domain. It's like the supermarket. 
I shut everybody out. It doesn't matter what war zone is going on in the house. There I am doing my thing in the kitchen and I block out the world. I remember when the kids were a bit smaller before they learned the lesson of don't intrude on mum in the kitchen. And they would come to me and say, mummy, can I help? And I was like, ooh, okay, you can help. And I remember one day making pancakes and you know, I'm so glad that I let them into my kitchen that day because I'll never forget what happened. We're making pancakes and Will's like, I'm gonna help you mum with the eggs. And I'm like, okay, son, you can do the eggs. He says, yeah, I'm gonna hatch the eggs. I was like, that is priceless. But who knows that out of mess comes great moments, that motherhood is so messy. And when we're laying down our lives, sometimes it's just a lot of mess. You know, you can't keep that house tidy. You can't stay on top of things. Mount washing is piling up. Motherhood is full of mess. In every season, it doesn't stop. But isn't it full of the most precious moments? And mothers are always willing to give and create those moments. The fourth thing today is that a mother is entrusted with forming values. Proverbs 6.20 says, My son, keep your father's commands and your mother's teaching. See, there is a different role that mothers and fathers both play in a family. And the mother's role is teaching. I believe that the way we see a difference is that a mother brings value to a child through nurture, that the nurture lays a foundation for biblical values. I mean, my poor kids, I've talked to them about a lot of things. I've taught them a lot of things. And the truth is that when we teach, we prepare them for what they're gonna face in their future. When we discuss the pressures they might face, I believe that teaching is a preparation. Teaching lays a foundation for our children to be everything God wants. You know, some things that we teach our children and mothers teach the children is our word is our bond. We tell the truth. We respect others. We help others. We pick up after ourselves. Jury is out on whether I've managed to do that one. <laughs> Bedrooms are their own domain. <laughs> in so many ways, a mother is vital in shaping a moral character in a child. Look, I wanna say what we value, we teach children to value. What we value, we teach children to value. You know, I was just up in Auckland and my mum, she's, you know, she's the ultimate supreme cook and the kitchen is definitely her domain. But one of the ways she shows love is cooking for us. But the thing is that she doesn't just cook us unhealthy food. She used to work at the Heart Foundation. So every meal is good for our heart health. See, the value of looking after our bodies, looking after our health, she instills it in the way that she nurtures us. The truth is that we instill values in the way that we nurture. And what we show matters. My mum is always telling me, don't put cream in your coffee. Sad to say, I've yet to submit to that one. <laughs> But overall, <laughs> we try to live healthy because that's the value that she's taught. You know, this year, both our kids said to us, oh, we wanna do piano. And I'm like, okay, carpe diem, seize the day. Let's go get a piano. And we got them a, you know, a cheap starter's piano. Our last keyboard we had, I'm so sorry to say, was put to an early death by an incontinent cat and was unredeemable. So, it's true. This year, <laughs> I'm like, strike while the iron's hot. We'll go out and purchase a keyboard. Why would we do that? Because we understand that nurture teaches values, that actually learning a craft 
Having a discipline will create something within them that matters, that, ha that, that we will teach them discipline, diligence, stewardship, personal responsibility, that investing in cr cr uh, at a craft and at a skill can produce so much in their lives. I'm pleased to report that both children are applying themselves well, and hopefully Shahan will be out of a job before you know it. <laughs> Look, I wanna honor every mum for being a nurturer, for being a teacher, for depositing values, for creating a value that creates change in our society. Who knows that when a mother teaches value, it produces an amazing citizen and an amazing uh, depth in our society. We actually shape we stitch together the fabric of our society by every value and principle that we instill, particularly godly ones. See, the greatest gift that we give our kids is faith. We see that in the life of Timothy, Timothy had a gift of faith, his faith that came from his grandmother and from his mother. You know, I actually, this is one of the greatest things that my mom ever gave to me, was this gift of faith. Some of you may have heard the story, but she lived through a very challenging time in her life. And when I was five years old, she became uh, paralyzed. Over the course of a couple of years, she could no longer walk. And at the time when she could no longer walk, the doctors finally discovered what was going on. They scanned her body and they discovered that there was a tumor in her neck. In this whole season of leading up to it, my mom, had a life group and she prayed in the life group and she got a picture with her life group that one day, even though she right now could barely move and her mobility was gone, that one day she would run through a meadow behind our house with my sister and I in each hand. This picture kept her going. This picture sustained her even in the midst of challenge. Look, mothers, maybe you're in a season of difficulty and challenge. Maybe you're worried about the, how the situation in your life will impact on your children. I want to say that if we can keep our faith even in the midst of the challenge, if we can stay walking with God in the midst of challenge, it will not hurt our children. In fact, it will bless our children. Don't worry if things are hard right now because the lessons are that God will take us out the other side and our children will be stronger because they saw how we got through the mess, we got through the difficulty, but we held tightly to God in the middle of it. My mom held to this promise and She's told me the story of how God brought everything together. See, the person who was the expert in the world that dealt with these tumors was from Egypt. He was a Coptic Christian man, a believer. And he was there teaching the Dunedin students how to actually operate on this. And he was there. He was there, the timing of the Lord. He was the one who performed the operation. They said to my mom, if we'd found it any later, it would have been inoperable. After they'd opened her up, they said, if we'd actually realized what was happening with these tumors, we probably wouldn't have even tried. But God kept things hidden that needed to be hidden and revealed things that needed to be revealed. This Christian man operated on my mom and he says to her later after the operation, he says, I knew that the Lord was guiding my hand. And in that moment, she's on the operating table a whole lot longer and because of her faith and because of the journey, my dad gets down on his knees and he says, if Helen lives, I'm gonna give my life to Jesus. I'm gonna my life to Jesus. She comes out of that theater and miraculously, she is fully healed. That tumor has been perfectly dealt with. No loss of movement, no spinal impact, no problem. And she did run through that meadow with my sister and I hand in hand. And from that moment on, my whole family 
family went to church every Sunday. My mother gave me the gift of faith. My mother showed me that God is faithful, that even though we don't know when our miracle is coming, if we just trust and believe that God can get us out the other side, this is the gift that mothers can entrust into our lives. Faithful mothers make a difference. And when we believe in a God who brings us out the other side, oh, our lives are set on a course of destiny. We can make a difference in this world because a mother believed in us, because a mother deposited something wonderful within us. Oh, look, every child in this room, your mother sees that potential and your father in heaven. He knows the plan he has marked out for you. Oh, no, each one of us, want, he wants to run in the freedom of his promise, the freedom of his promise. Look, today, I truly believe that the lives of mothers cause an echo that lasts for generations to come. That as mothers raise children with values, as they nurture, as they invest in their children, there is a holy echo that comes out of their lives for generations to come.